Welcome back to another episode of For Fintech's Sake. I'm your host, Zach Anderson Pettit. We're back with another Empire Live today. And you know what that means. The ghost of fintech future himself, John Zanoff, is back in the Zoom studio with us. Great to be back in the studio, Zach. And by studio, I of course mean a Zoom from my one-bedroom apartment here in Hell's Kitchen. And for the listeners... Thank you for being here. There's so much damn content out there now. Everyone and their mother are launching a webinar. And the fact that you're giving us 45 minutes, it really means a lot. In fact, I've got a big favor. I want to hear from you. What you love, what you hate, we work for you. Tweet at John Zanoff right after the show. Let me know what you think. Now, today we are with HR Tech King, co-founder and CEO of JustWorks, Isaac Oates. Now, JustWorks is an HR tech. In this case, it's bundling a bunch of historically painful financial products like workman's comp and payroll taxes, and it simplifies them so the business owner or founder doesn't have to worry about it. It just flipping works. We're going to chat about running a fully distributed team, how you should think about LTV when it comes to channel partnerships, and my new favorite term, built-in scrappiness. Isaac, Thanks for joining us. Before we dive into all of that, give the audience 60 seconds on what you do at JustWorks. Sure. So so JustWorks is a platform for payroll benefits. So we work with small businesses. We are PEO, which is a professional employer organization. And basically what it means is that we take employees from lots of small companies. Um, on average, our companies have about 15 employees. We, we aggregate them together into one big group. We have about 90,000 people on our platform. And you know, for those 90,000 people, we centralize tax processing. We get access to benefits they might not be able to get otherwise. Uh, and then for those companies, we provide HR support and compliance tools. And so uh, we're, I think, a really great resource for, for entrepreneurs who are starting a business and want to hire people and take care of them. And we're not paid to say this, but Empire Startups is a JustWorks customer. The way that I think of it is JustWorks is kind of like air conditioning. It just works. It is a simple tool that works and makes everything better. You don't have to have air conditioning, but when you do, life is just a lot better. In fact, if you haven't started a business without JustWorks, you you may not even understand just that, that, that pain. But one of the things... so. Obviously, New York City headquartered. Last I checked, was it 500 employees all almost together? 600. Almost 600 down in Soho. So it must be just an incredible culture shock not to be gathering 600 people every day. How's that been going? What are the challenges? You know, and what are the surprises in in a completely remote workforce? Yeah, you know, it's been such an interesting experience. You know. I, we, we don't do a ton of work from home historically. And so, you know, when people kind of ask about work from home, what I have learned over my career is that if everyone is in an office, that could be really effective. I think if everybody's distributed, that can be nearly as effective. When some people are distributed and some people are in an office, I think it's really tough. Uh, everybody's not on the same footing. Um, the people that uh, aren't in the office or in the, with the others, like they don't get as much information. And so, you know, being fully distributed, I think, has actually come pretty naturally for us. And we, um, you know, I I think we made the move probably a little bit earlier than a lot of other companies. And, you know, we have a weekly all hands on Thursday. Uh, To be honest, it's been a little bit easier to have the all hands because we were really struggling to fit everybody into one 
big space in our office. Uh, and so, you know, we still have our all hands every Thursday. We've really encouraged managers to make sure that they're seeing the people that are on their team every day, somehow over zoom. And, um, you know, I think if anything, people are, are more in touch in some ways than they might've been otherwise, uh, just because they're being much more deliberate. And then I think the other thing I would say is that, you know, our culture, which is very much, you know, we talk about kindness and acceptance and all of those things, I think, I think has just kind of carried through. And so I think, you know, our team, I think people on our team really feel like uh, they have each other's back. um, Even, you know, as we go through something like this. That's, that's really interesting. We've talked in the past about, just the support you're, you're ultimately, you can say, you know, PEO, but you're ultimately outsourced HR. And one of the things that you do really well is you scale support of, of companies and you actually care about your, your customers. Again, um, it's a natural plug. You're not paying me. I'm actually a customer <laughs> and that's what it's like. Um, how, how do you scale that? How, how do you scale that empathy to a 600 person organization from a, from a, whether it be from a cultural standpoint, from a hiring standpoint, how do you think about that? Yeah. So I think first it's, it's the who's in the building question or the virtual building at the moment. Uh, you know, our values are pretty simple. So uh, camaraderie, openness, grit, integrity, and simplicity. Those are what our values have been for a long time. That's what they are today. Um, you know, I would say that you can't really change people's values uh, that they grew up with. And so you just have to, when you hire, you just have to make sure that their values happen to match yours, uh, which I think is why it's so important to to sort of articulate your values early on. Um, And so I think that that is part of it. And then I think, so, and then I think we, we tend to look for people who are kind of naturally kind and empathic and want to help and support. And like, like, like I would say, that's just like teamwork, you know, that's all sort of part of our ethos. And then the other thing we do, which I think is very specific, is that, you know, at our all hands meetings and in other places, we talk a lot about our customers. Um, you know, one of the things we'll do is every couple of weeks, we'll have a customer uh, come with all hands. And usually I'll do, I'll do exactly like we're doing, right, we can do this, but we'll just flip who's asking the questions. Um, and, uh, you know, it really helps our employees kind of stay connected with what our customers do. You know, we have about 6,000 companies on our platform and they're all doing amazing things. And if you work at JustWorks, you get to feel like you're, you know, just like a little bit part of each one of them. And so I think, um, you know, we like, so during those chats, we talk a little bit about, you know, how they use JustWorks and so on, but mostly we just talk about what the companies do and like why they do what they do. And I think that that has really helped um, keep, keep our team focused on why we come to work and who we're supporting. That's great. Now, uh, I read somewhere that you're a triathlete. What is a triathlete doing these days to stay sane? Yeah. So it's been, um, it's been a little brutal, uh, this, this spring, not to, not to state the obvious, um, you know, still, you know, swimming, uh, so, so a triathlon is, is swimming and, and biking and running. Swimming's a little bit just, just off the table right now. Uh, but, you know, I'm still still working out every day. And um, I think it's just such an important kind of way, especially because I'm spending so much time inside and in one place and just kind of like on the Zoom. I think, you know, getting outside for a run um, or a bike ride is, is really, really helpful. So, doing you know, doing the best I can. I would say I'm, you know, not in the best shape ever, but trying to maintain. Yeah, it's really... Uh... 
it's really tough to, to transition from doing something so physical when that, when that's taken away, it can be, it can be a challenge. So it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're making the best of it, which is, which is fantastic. Before we get to our audience questions, I, I want to talk just a little bit about product lines at, at just works and, and what's next, what might be coming down the pike. So you can talk a little bit either what you see HR tech looking like in five to 10 years, or if you could share maybe some products that are that are in the labs that 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 you know our audience may be the first to learn will be hitting in the in the next couple of years. Yeah. So you know, I think you know, I mean, every company sort of has a different shape to this. But if you think about our core product, which is you know helping small businesses hire people, you know, we we have very low market share. So you know, while we are pleased with our growth to date. Uh, you know, I mean, I think the growth potential is in front of us uh, dwarfs what we have, have done so far. Um, but we want to make sure that we have access to that market and that we are able to widen our aperture as much as we can and help as many and, and work with as many companies as we can. Um, and so, you know, I think right now we skew mainly towards white collar businesses. And the reason for that is that white collar businesses are actually like the most simple when it comes to their payment needs. You know, you have a lot of people on salary, they just get paid twice a month or what have you. And it's, it's pretty straightforward. Um, when you start to layer in uh, more businesses in more places that do more things, you end up with more complex uh, payment schedules and uh, more complex time tracking and, you know, more sophisticated compliance requirements. And so a lot of the investments that we're focused on in the future are really about widening that aperture so that, you know, companies who today we might not be able to work with, you know, they sort of like enter our, our serviceable market. Um, you know, and then in addition, not that this is the, the question, but what we have been spending a tremendous amount of time on over the past uh, 45 or 60 days is actually implementing a bunch of functionality that uh, specifically helps businesses during um, during the pandemic. And so, you know, the federal government passed a bunch of legislation, as everybody knows, um, you know, and there's a lot of media coverage around the PPP loan, um, but there were also uh, tax deferrals that were passed as part of the CARES Act. There were tax credits that were, were passed, um, there were family tax credits. So a small business that put somebody on family leave, uh, even for reasons like their child's school is closed and they just need to take care of their child, they can put them on paid leave and the government will pay for it. And these programs are incredible. Uh, you have to have access to it and that really comes through your payroll provider. So, you know, our team has not really been spending any of their time working on the things they thought they were gonna work on the past two months. They've been spending all their time working on, on that stuff. I think that's fair. I was I was going to try not to use the P word today because I feel if you don't already have uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome from all uh, the payroll reporting questions <laughs> and, you know, to get the PPP. I mean, what a um, I mean, what a what a Herculean effort, though, when uh, when the SBA launched a new program and then virtually overnight. It's uh, payroll providers like JustWorks has to figure out, OK, well, how are we going to how are we going to provide all of this data to, to small businesses? You know, I'll tell you, like, it was it was really challenging, but it was also, um, I think, like, a really special moment for the company. Like, one of the things we were talking about during our all hands a couple of weeks ago was that, you know, somebody was sort of asking the question, you know, like, is this is this just works at its best? I'm like, well, I've been here the whole time. So I can <laughs> I can say uh, this is definitely just works at its best. And 
there is something that has been really special about having like this one thing to focus on. Right. And like, and it's like everyone in the company, it's, it's like, we just have to do this. Like we have to get people access to these programs. We have to explain the programs. If they call, we have to talk to them and explain it and walk them through it. And like, that's, that's like what we're here to do. That's why we're here. And, you know, it's just been this like incredibly unifying moment, I think for our team, because like all these things that seem so big are suddenly so small compared to, you know, the thing that's right in front of you. And so a lot of what we're talking about is how we capture some of the really great things about that performance and, you know, like incorporate that into how we, we move going forward. When I talk, ask the question about scaling a, a support staff, I mean, the expertise required is probably um, um, quite a bit about what's, what's proprietary about what you do. But a couple of questions are coming in from, from the audience. Uh, Maria asks, you know, talk a little bit about how customers, their needs and their demands change across verticals and, uh, and, and maybe what's the, the craziest request that you've had from a customer besides empire startups. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, in terms of the needs, I mean, they are really, they're generally around um, employees with complex schedules, employees that work in multiple locations, uh, employees need to be paid on a certain kind of pay schedule, maybe because of legal requirements or if you're a government contractor, you get paid on like a certain frequency. And those are all things where, you know, we really kind of built like an MVP when we started the company and we just haven't done a ton there. And so, you know, those are the areas that I would say are probably most limiting for us. Um, the good news is, is like, they're not, like they're pretty well understood. They're just, it's just like a matter of prioritizing. And so those are the things that come up a lot. And then in terms of crazy, crazy stuff that people ask for, um, man, I don't know. I don't have to come back on that one. I think, uh, I'm sure they're there, but they probably don't make it to me somehow. Yeah. You've, uh, I mean, I know JustWorks has launched a, a number of sort of uh, culture building efforts, you know, spend this amount of money on on some sort of team event and we'll reimburse you or the stickers that you launched oh. naming, uh, naming, you know, whoever's the, the, the conference guru or whatnot. Those are, those are super fun. I'm not sure they're the craziest things that, that anyone's ever asked for, for, but I think that that focus on, on, on culture, not just comes through as you're running the company, but you've, you're helping your customers well, really strong cultures. I think, you know, it's interesting. I mean, you're hearing about this like a little bit less right now, but if you rewind like a couple of years, I mean, everybody's talking about the gig economy and contractors and sort of like, are like, are like companies even going to exist? Are employees even going to exist? Is that like a, a last century kind of phenomenon? But, you know, the way that I look at it is that, it, and I think we're, um, seeing it like in, in real life right now is that, you know, people by and large, like they want to be part of something and they want to accomplish something with other people. And, you know, it's like our value around camaraderie is not just not just like a lip service thing. It's, it's like, if you could accomplish something that's bigger, like together with other people, that's bigger than something that you could do by yourself. It's like, well, you get to, you get to claim like the whole thing. And uh, that means it's like a very much like this, you know, the sum is greater than the parts, you know, for all the people involved. And I think, you know, I don't think this is true for everybody, but I think a lot of people really like being on a team and like working with other people towards a, a common purpose. 
And, um, you know, I think culture obviously emerges in that as, you know, and every group has like its own norms, but I think it's so important and it's such a big part of why people choose to work where they work. Yeah. Well, you, you brought it up, you brought up the gig economy and freelancers. It's obviously, um, uh, as far as future work comes, it's something that's talked, talked about quite frequently, um, could you see, you know, pushing into, into that realm or, or will you stay focused more on, you know, the W2 employees versus supporting freelancers? Obviously you can pay contractors on just works, but in terms of functionality for the freelancer, could you see that, uh, emerging on your roadmap? I, I would like for us to do more for, uh, for the contractors and freelancers on our, our platform. You know, it's funny. I mean, it's, it's pretty rudimentary what we offer right now. So very important. We, get that paid, you know, and get the right tax forms. I mean, that's, that's sort of like the, the start point, but, um, I would, I would like for us to do, to do more for, um, for, for freelancers, but, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's a space that I don't think a lot of people have had a lot of success yet in kind of bringing products to market there, but it's certainly a large and growing population. And I think they have, you know, many of the same needs that any other person would have, but that aren't met in kind of like your classic employer arrangement. Um, you know, whether that's, you know, health insurance or, you know, help like squaring away their finances. And so, you know, I don't know exactly what we'll do there, but we do think about it. Yeah. And Barb, uh, a number of our fantastic marketing and, and, and dev team are, are overseas. I found myself finding sort of the ends of the internet this week, looking for ways to pay <laughs> overseas developers in, in crypto, because without naming any names, the, the sort of payments providers, and you were, you did a lot of payments, I think back at, at, at Amazon, but the payments providers are still taking such a, a lion share of the, the conversion. Um, and I, I, I found the end of the internet before I found a great way to pay overseas developers in, in crypto. So we won't have to talk offline. Um, That's pretty funny. We could do. I, mean, I mean, I would say in payments in general, I mean, a lot of money is made in, in FX. So mm. it's not surprising what you're saying. Yeah. They're not taking it away. They're not uh, how they make money anytime soon. Uh, uh, David Gerbino from NyPay. He's on listening. Thanks for joining David. Ask you about the organizations you partner with to acquire more customers or acquire customers. I mean, uh, to some extent, you're a growth engine and acquiring customers. So this question comes um, helping David understand, you know, partnership strategy or how entrepreneurs can think of a, a partnership strategy to acquire customers. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting because, I mean, there are both, you know, channels we use and then, um, you know, folks that see us as a potential channel, you know, so in terms of how we go to market, we mainly go to market directly. So uh, our sales team, our marketing team, uh, you know, work very, very hard to build the business. And we found that that because of the sort of uh, like bundled or all in one nature of what our product is, you know, direct is is generally the most effective way to go to market. Um, we do, you know, we do have partnerships with insurance brokers and accountants and a lot of informal kind of referrals. Uh, we get referrals from customers, which are, are awesome. Um, and if you refer people, you can get a check from JustWorks, which is great. And, I, and those referrals are really good, but we haven't, we haven't built like a really big channel program. And I think at some level, you know, we would always want, our mix to skew direct. Um, 
you know, but in general, when people, and, and by the way, like the reason this can work is because we have, um, like a, like a pretty high LTV kind of product. So, you know, like there's a lot of sales and marketing costs in the beginning, but, um, it, you know, customers don't tend to switch that often. They stay on the platform a long time. So like the economics work that you can go direct. Whereas like most, most folks that are selling into a small business, it's like the economics aren't there to support like a direct go to market. Um, you know, then, and then there's like this sort of, I forget the book, I think it was Crossing the Chasm, but there's sort of like, you know, they have their whole, uh, uh, you know, framework around the, the curve and everything. And at the end, it's like, well, how should I go to market if I'm this kind of business? And one of them is like, how do I go to market if I want to get to small businesses? And it was like, find a channel was, was the answer. Um, and so I think for most businesses that like that tends to be the right path because, you know, because you can get the economics to work out. Um, we got, we got probably an inquiry or two a week about, you know, a product that we might distribute to our customers. Um, we don't tend to do a lot of those, those deals. So, you know, we're very, you know, I think we have a really, really great brands that we've built and a lot of credibility that we've built. And, you know, we know that, um, if we recommend a product to uh, to our customers that we're kind of putting our name there and, and we would want to make sure that they kind of are delivering the same experience. So what, so our own strategy on that side has been to focus with a handful of providers. So for example, with, you know, with insurance, we work with Aetna and United and, and Kaiser, and we work incredibly closely with them to make sure that um, we and they together are able to deliver the experience that they want. So we don't have sort of like a, like a shopping mall of-, of Sure, a marketplace. Or somewhere. Yeah. yeah, marketplace would be like the modern day yeah. shopping mall. I know you use NPS score to track customer sentiment um, and, and do it over time so you understand. And I imagine doing it uh, perhaps at, at different times of the, of the year. Is there- a, a sweet spot in size that you think, what are some of the learnings that you've, that you've pulling out, pulled out of or derived from your, your MPS surveys that you're doing for your customers? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, our most, I'd say in general, like businesses in, so we kind of consider our target market to be businesses under a hundred employees. Mm-hmm. Obviously the businesses that grow bigger than that use our platform and we use our platform and we're obviously several times that size. But, um, you know, to stay focused, we, we focus on the lower end of the market. And I'd say across our target market, people are, are pretty happy. Um, and actually, I mean, relative, I mean, we're in a space where, you know, your NPS might be like zero or 10 or something like that. Ours is, is much higher than that. And actually something that's really been interesting is that it's gone through the roof the past couple of months. And so, you know, like we were talking about before with like the very specific products and services that we've delivered around um, COVID relief, uh, I think it's really resonated with our customers. And so, which is, you know, I think presents a huge opportunity for us because, you know, in the coming year or two, a lot of new people are going to start businesses. And of course we want them to consider just works. And I think if they have a great experience, like that'll help. Makes, makes good sense. Jeff Smith joined. Thanks for Thanks for being with us, Jeff. He asked a question. You've been a, a, a New York founder, obviously part of the New York City ecosystem, part of the New York City fabric. Pandemic aside, you know what's keeping you in New York? What do you think the advantages of running a company and starting a company in New York are? Yeah. So, yeah. Obviously, it's like a strange time at this moment, but 
I think there are a few things about New York that are really special. Um, and it basically has to do with people. So the first thing is that I think the drive from people that, that, I mean, like there are obviously lots of people in New York that are from here, but there are also people that move here, you know, not just from all over the country, but all over the world, like at some level, just to like prove that they can or sort of like show what they're made of or, you know, something like that. And um, I mean, they're just, it's like, I mean, like harnessing that energy is, is incredibly powerful. And I think in so many ways, like our company is built on that is built on people that kind of like want to prove what they have. And I think we've gotten really good at, at finding them and then giving them, you know, a place to do that and to do it with other people that, you know, they really enjoy being with. And so I think there are just not that many places in the world that, um, that kind of have this. And I mean, New York has a very long history of just being this place where people come from everywhere uh, to, to, sort of prove what they have, like not everybody retires here. Right. So a lot of people come for a few years, maybe they go somewhere else, but so I love capturing that. And then the other thing, um, which is along similar lines is the, is the diversity of the workforce and the diversity of the thought here in the city. And I mean, you know, when I go to San Francisco and it's like, you go to like any coffee shop and you hear somebody pitching their series a or whatever it is after a while, you're just kind of like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm a little bit over this. Whereas in, in New York, I think, there's obviously plenty of folks in tech, but there's plenty more folks that aren't in tech. And, you know, you go to like a, go to a party or you're, you're out or whatever. And like, you just, you run into so many people again from like all these different places kind of like doing their thing. So I think it's just like a very interesting place full of interesting people. And then it's like, you get to have those people in your company. So I think that those two things together have been really like a big part of making just works what it is. That's awesome. I, I, so what I heard was that you have to be a little bit crazy to be in New York. And if you can harness that craziness, you're going to build an awesome company. Is that, is that fair? I think that's fair. I like it. Now you've grown, uh, you, you mentioned almost 600 employees. Thank goodness. You're no longer interviewing everyone yourself um, or your, your hair would start to look like mine, but talk about the, you know, how you've um, driven, cohesion amongst the the management team and maybe some things that you disagree on amongst your management team. If you're at an uh, just works offsite, you know, what are the big debates where, where everyone might not agree with the future of just works? Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I think like all great leadership teams have uh, hopefully healthy conflict and debate. And I think ours is, is no different. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, obviously the current kind of circumstances have been this unifying force, I think, for that group as well. I think, you know, if there's like one area where uh, there's just sort of like a broad range of opinions and appetites, it has to do with sort of like a, like a depth versus breadth uh, mm-hmm. approach for the company. And so you could think about this in terms of, of markets. Like, do you want to be in 30 cities a little bit or three cities a lot? Um it, you know, you can think about it in terms of product capabilities. Do you want to be, you know, really deep in the capabilities that you offer? Do you want to be broad to kind of like attract, you know, a wide range of people? Like on what timeline do you do this? Um, like, you know, we know that like where we want to be is that we're for every business everywhere. So that's, that's like not too hard to figure out or say, but then it's like, to, you know, to get there, um, 
there are a lot of like different paths. And I think, um, you know, the truth is, is I think like all companies were resource constrained. And so, you know, you can only take like a couple of steps at a time. Um, but I think you would find different opinions about how to go about that. Yeah. With, with, uh, with breadth and specifically geographical coverage, you started and said, we're going to be the best PO. We really clear North star, our best PO in New York, which, um, which I don't know how you measure, but I anecdotally, I think you've, I think you've done. I think we are. What, uh, what about outside? You launched DC. If I, if I'm right, is that a couple of years ago now, a couple of years ago? Yeah. So catch me up. That was your last, that was unfortunately your last conversation with Empire Startup. So yeah, where are you, where are you focused now? Um, so, I mean, I mean, I think the, the markets where we really have a foothold is in New York, obviously, and then DC and LA. Um, and there are many other markets where we have, uh, the beginning of a foothold, but you know, like the sort of the cycle hasn't started yet where people, you sort of have built trust and credibility and people are referring. And I think, um, this is a debate we're having even today is, you know, like how much, how much resource do we want to put outside those markets versus in those markets? Um, but in general, I would say we are skewing towards depth in, in all of the things that I described. So, you know, if we're going to launch uh, time and attendance product, launching a really great in-depth time and attendance product, um, if we're entering a market, like really, really, really getting in there. Um, because my experience has just been that when you, you know, kind of like spread the peanut butter, it's really, it's really like unsatisfying. And it's like, we just rather have that's a new metaphor for me. If you spread the pin, peanut butter too far, it's not a good experience. I like peanut butter spread absolutely perfectly across. You want some edges, but yeah, sorry. Well, we're going to jump on another AMA just specifically on peanut butter and jellies, but okay. So if you spread it too far, it's a, it's a bad experience. And if it's too thin, right. Like, too thin, okay. It's like, I don't know, like, you know, and I think companies kind of face this all the time, but it's like, would you rather have, you know, a thousand customers that were thrilled with you or 2000 customers that were met? And, you know, I think in the immediate moment, like you'd probably rather have the 2000 because they're going to pay you more. But I think over the long term, like you'd way rather have the thousand because they're going to go out there and, and tell everybody how great you are. And then you'll, you'll eclipse like what you've done before. So it's like, a, I don't know, it's always like a tension with some of the stuff we talk about. How do you, you know, you talked about um, a relatively high LTV business. It's a very sticky business. Once you're handling somebody's back office and their payroll and compliance, it's it's pretty critical, mission critical to the business. So it's hard to move. Um, if they are, if your customers are deciding to move for whatever reason, maybe size, maybe geography, maybe, maybe healthcare, maybe cost, uh, it's probably going to happen at the end of the year. How... How have you been able to to scale to demand I bet both new customers and transitioning customers towards the end of the year or maybe even ta- in tax season? Yeah, so um, we we you know we definitely have a seasonal business as it relates to um, bringing new customers on board. To some degree, as we grow, the, the seasonality becomes less pronounced because your existing base is bigger and bigger relative to the new set of customers that you're bringing on. Um, but you know, what it has meant historically is that, uh, we've done a lot of our hiring over the summer 
in anticipation of a very busy fall and winter. So, you know, it's like we kind of, I guess the, the metaphor I always used is like a summer camp. Like if you were running a summer camp, you would have like a pretty specific time that you were recruiting counselors and getting the campers and um, like, I don't know, you know, clearing out the pipes and whatever. Uh, and so, you know, we kind of look at it the same. We're like, all right, well, we know that a bunch of new business will come on January 1st and you just kind of back into who you need and when you need them. But really it just, it just means like the, the business tends to be, I think much more seasonal than probably a lot of other businesses. Yeah. Yeah. Now I don't, Correct me if I'm wrong, but growing up as a little kid, you weren't dreaming of HR tech. Uh, I think you were the armed services. You were uh, your developer. Um, if you weren't doing HR tech, what would you be doing? Yeah. Oh gosh, I don't know. That's a good. It's, it's kind of hard to imagine doing something different at the moment. All you can see is HR tech right now. That's. I think it'd be. Some, I think it'd be somewhere warm and. Tranquil, <laughs> No, I don't know. I think this is a it's, a it's a great space because you know we're like I don't know like a business is the most important thing a business has is its people, and then we're helping the business and the people sort of like get the most out of each other in a sense. It like really feels like you're creating value, like you're not just sort of like capturing somebody else's value. Um, but yeah, I just don't, I don't know. That's like such a sad answer, actually. <laughs> I've been I've been learning to play the piano and dabbling in French. Maybe I would go do piano lessons in awesome. or something. Well, it gives us an excuse to 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 speak again. You're I think it was, I don't know. It was Thrive came in and and led your seed or A. You had Matt Harris at Bain. You had pretty much some of the most impactful investors at the early stage involved in your in your in your company. What do they mean for you personally? What do they mean for JustWorks? What do they continue to mean? And maybe, um, you know, after you answer that, we'll kind of go out on just advice for for the entrepreneurs that are that are listening in and and fighting the good fight in a, in an environment that's pretty hard to 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 find capital. Yeah. So we've been really fortunate to get um, just some phenomenal people involved in the company. Um, I mean, you know, it's like when you get, you know, somebody invests in your business. I mean, there's sort of all these these formal things, like they own a share of your company and maybe they're on your board and you know, updates and so on and so forth. But you know, more than that, it's like you're you can kind of think of it as like you're building like a solar system, right? And it's like you are taking all these people and you're you're like putting them in your orbit, right? And I think like outcomes of the company, yeah. And it's hard to explain even like why this is, but the outcomes of the company, I think, are dictated in many ways by like kind of who is in the company's orbit. And, you know, I've been so fortunate, but also, you know, really deliberate about making sure that the people in the company's orbit, whether that's our investors like Matt or Jared Weinstein at, at Thrive, um, or advisors or our board members or, or whoever are just like, just really like the highest quality and well-meaning people. And I think it, I don't know, it's kind of like life is the company you keep. And I think it's true for business also. And so it's like, yeah, they have a lot to add in the sort of investor sense, but really it's like, they're, I think they're just very good people and they're, I'm happy to have them involved. That's awesome. What, uh, what, what about advice for entrepreneurs? I mean, you've, like I said, you've attracted some of the, the greats. Uh, if you can get Matt and Bain excited about your business, 
um, it, it probably means that you have some some revenue. So what about just customer? What about just entrepreneurs starting out? How can they start to build their orbit of of support, uh, a foundation of people in their orbit to support them? Yeah. So I think now is is like the best time to start something new. Um, you know. So first, it's like, and I know you were talking about this before we hopped on, but if you started a business recently, but kind of like pre-crisis. You know, I think like the challenge and the opportunity that you have is to really make sure that you have recalibrated your business to operate in this environment. And, you know, that means like being really frugal and and scrappy. Um, This will come really naturally to some people and probably less naturally to others. But I think people who are starting businesses now, they're going to get this like built in scrappiness. And... um, you know, I don't think people even understand like just how like fundamentally important this is. But you know, if you think of a business as like a, it's like a math equation, right? And it's like dollars come in, and then ideally like more dollars come out the other side. Well, like a scrappy business is like going to be able to produce more dollars per dollar than you know the one that is spending money on things that it doesn't need or, or paying too much for things or whatever. So. I think, you know, like many of the great businesses get started in these parts of the cycle. And, you know, like if if I were investing in businesses, for example, I think right now is like a great time to start to start investing um, just because because of, of the environment. So I think as an entrepreneur, I think, you know, you're going to have to be like money is going to be harder to come by. I think probably the terms will be a little bit worse than they were before. And I would say, um, don't worry about it that much. Just like do your thing and, and scrape by. And, you know, as, as like the years go by, you know, we'll, we'll come back into like, you know, a period of abundance. Um, but you'll be, you'll be like the lean muscular company that can really take advantage of it. I like it. I was, I got for out for a run yesterday and, and wore a mask down the West side highway and sort of lack of oxygen is, is, is shocking trying to run with, with a mask and uh, being the geek that I, that I am, I just started thinking of the metaphor of, of entrepreneurs out there. You're oxygen deprived in this environment, you're capital deprived, but you're just going to be that much stronger coming in, coming out of this environment. There, um, I said that was going to be the end, but I, I want to make sure everyone gets to ask their questions. Tanvir joined us and looking for any advice on product market fit. I know last time you joined us, you talked, I mean, you had, you had uh, six weeks left of runway at, at one point, um, you know, before you really hit your stride and, and obviously we're able to secure funding and, and product market fit. What guidance do you give entrepreneurs around uh, defining and finding product market fit? Yeah. So you know, it took us about two years to get there. And I, and I really distinctly remember, you know, we started January, 2013 and then, um, you know, basically about ran out of money in early 2014, which is the moment that you're describing where we had just a couple of weeks of payroll left. And, um, we did not have product market fit at that point. And it was really, uh, that actually comes back to the orbit thing and just finding people out there who are like, you know what, I'll take a chance on you, even though you definitely don't have product market fit. And I'm really glad they did. And they're probably really glad they did too. Um, I think, uh, so it took about two years and then it's like a little bit, this is like an annoying thing to say, but it's kind of like, you know, when you see it and it was like everything about the company just like felt different one day. Like it was basically January of 2015. We just like, 
run um, a, our first subway ad campaign, which at the time, like not every startup did. I don't know if they do it now, but um, you know, so we just kind of done our first big marketing push and, you know, it was like the sales team was happy. People were starting to buy. Uh, it all was like, it was just clicking, you know? And I think um, of course, you know, everyone is so, everyone so badly wants to find product market fit because it's like this, this like gateway to like the next thing It's the gateway to more funding and then you can grow and hire and like whatever. But as everybody knows, if you haven't found it and you do those things, I mean, an implosion is is likely to follow. Um, But when you find it, you just kind of know because you're like, Oh shit. Like people are buying and they're happy and like, it's all, it's all working. And suddenly it's like, you know, instead of you like pushing the business, it's more like the business is pulling you and, it's, I don't know. It's like a really good feeling. Um, but I, I don't know. That's how I experienced it in any case. And it took, but it took a long time to get there. Yeah. I think, uh, I think, I think patience is, is, is a key there. Well, listen, I know, uh, as I said, before we went live, I really appreciate the time. I think managing uh, a team now approaching 600 through a, a pandemic, this isn't necessarily a critical path. And for you to spend time with, uh, with the early stage startup community means a lot to me. It means a lot to everyone. So thank you for being with us, Isaac. Thank you for having me, John. It's great to see you. I hope you enjoyed this very special episode of For Fintech's Sake with John and Isaac. We're switching up moderators and we have an exciting For Fintech's Sake classic episode coming out next week. So if you're not subscribed, make sure you click that button on whatever your preferred podcast platform is. If you want to get in touch with us, join a future live AMA or figure out whether to send your complaint letters about this new host. That's right. I'm still harping on the complaint letters. You can find John and Empire Startups on Twitter at Empire Startups or sign up for their weekly newsletter at EmpireStartups.com. You'll be able to see any new and upcoming AMAs and lots of more fintech fodder there. And if you want to get in touch with me and learn more about Bond or just talk it out during these trying times, please reach out. You can get in touch with me via email at Zach at For Fintech's Sake, or if it's more Bond related, Zach at Bond.tech. Otherwise, holla at me on Twitter at Zach Pettit or at For Fintech's Sake. Until next time, stay healthy, keep your head high and your compliance burden to a minimum.